Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. My name is Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is Joseph Conyers, assistant principal bassist with the Philadelphia Orchestra, founder of Project 440, and the newly appointed director of the Philadelphia All-City Orchestra. I've been very fortunate to see Joseph perform in chamber ensembles and with the Philadelphia Orchestra. I've also seen him interact with youth and present master classes in clinics. Whether he's performing, lecturing, or teaching, it is always a deeply moving, soulful experience, full of joy and exuberance, by one of the most gifted and humble musicians I've ever met. Thanks for taking some time today out of your busy, very busy schedule and answering a few questions for my podcast. Yeah, no problem. All of my guests, what I do is I start to find out where it all began. Your earliest musical memory, where you grew up, did you have a musical family, parents, siblings, anything to shed light on where you think maybe your the first kernel of music uh, influenced you somewhere in your life? That's a good question. I don't know if I can remember my first music memory because it's always been a part of my life. So I, it's, it's almost like asking, like, the first time you blinked or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it, it's, it's always been, been, been um, uh, literally, every aspect of life. I, I, um, I grew up uh, in the African-American Baptist church tradition, and um, there was, um, music, of course, every Sunday. My mother was involved in some of the choir work there, but she also uh, did a lot of singing of her own, which is actually how we all, when I say we, my twin sister and older brother got involved in classical music because she had the love for classical music. Um, and she used to sing with the Savannah Symphony Chorus. So we were taken and introduced to classical music in a really, really, um, at a really early stage in our life. And uh, I think that in tandem with kind of my love for gospel music at an early age, it just was just a part of who I was and part of my development as a, as a young person let alone a, a young musician. Um, so I wish I could be more descriptive about the exact time, but I will say from out the gate, I knew that music would play a very big role in my life. Um, my mom started me on piano when I was five because she said I used to, well, a few things. One, whenever the, I guess, the washing machine had the little rhythm going, uh, when it was like um, uh, agitating the clothes, I would actually start to dance to it. She knew I had, had rhythm <laughs> inside of me from that. But then after church, she said I would come home and we had a, a piano because that was very important to the family. I had a piano in the, in the house. Uh, I would come home and start trying to um, pick out the tunes from church on the piano. So she waited till I was five to actually uh, start giving me formal instruction, but I started piano lessons when I was five years old. Um, my twin sister started telling when she was five because um, we, started, we both started at the same time. My older brother started violin um, uh, when he was nine. And um, they, we, we, that's the way it was for about five, six years before I decided that I wanted to be part of the fun because my brother and sister were always going off to rehearsals and playing with their friends, and I was always practicing by myself. So... <laughs> um, uh, I the music teacher at the school um, needed uh, a new bass player, and I was actually I, I was originally supposed to be a trombone player because um, I for a long time I thought that's what I was just going to do, and um, 
But she convinced me that the bass was the instrument for me. She thought I would be a good fit because of my piano background. And um, she she made a great assessment, I would have to say, <laughs> some 20-something years later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you, um, even though you weren't drawn to the bass originally, it was a bass clef instrument again. So you were in the low end, uh, even when you had aspirations of playing a brass instrument. Well, it's, you're, it's, and it's also funny. Apparently, it's, it's kind of the unwritten rule that the older, the older child normally plays the higher instrument, and the younger child normally plays a lower instrument. So, I mean, we our family fit right into that mold because my brother started with violin, my sister on cello, and then I ended up on the bass. <laughs> um, yeah, the family the that. family assignments the family assignments are in score order, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so you started on uh, you went to bass, and um, have you had lived your whole musical career on um, upright, or have you ever dabbled in electric, or were you ever required to play electric coming up, or did you just stay with acoustic the whole time? I stayed with acoustic the whole time. I I never had to play electric. Um, uh, I guess because I had so many different interests when I was in school, not so different from where I am now, but I was involved in a lot of things. So for me, bass and classical bass playing was something very specific. And a lot of people ask, well, didn't you want to play jazz or didn't you want to play something other than classical or, um, especially with piano and growing up in a Baptist church, why, um, uh, taking those chops to a, a new and different level. And, uh, I honestly have to say, I just was never any good at it. <laughs> I'm not the greatest improviser. Um, I can fake it when I have to, and on some occasions I've had to do that. But I'm not the greatest improviser, and I've always been in, uh, envious of those who are able to kind of sit down and just play. Um, okay. I feel like I, 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 the way I communicate musically is just through a slightly different medium where I can take composers' works and bring them to life in a, in a, in a way that hopefully is, is organic and as if I'm making it up on the spot, but the actual mm -hmm. making it up in the improvisation was something that never came naturally to me. I think I'm a little too much of a control freak to do that. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Now, you mentioned yeah. you had a love of um, gospel music early on, and it continues. Have you ever transferred any of the gospel music onto bass or done anything with that? Well, the closest thing is... Um, uh, when, it, and when I say gospel music, I think, oh, oh, okay, sorry. When it comes to the transfer to the bass, it's not necessarily playing the, the gospel music on the bass, but definitely kind of creating that expression and that, and that, um, that aura or that uh, uh, feeling, that intensity that gospel music has and bringing that to classical music. And I, 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 it's, I, it's neat because at the end of the day, um, and I've said this to, to, to multiple people, but uh, at the end of the day, to me, music is, all these different genres of music are parallel, um, going to the same place. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, regardless of the, um, uh, the genre, I, I had the opportunity to see one of uh, Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road performances where you take all these different, um, uh, forget, I mean, not forget genres, literally different uh, parts of the world and different cultures and how their music um, relates to, to, to music of the, of the Western. So you had a lot of Eastern um, music and ensembles and instruments. And to me, at the end of the day, the expression was always just as visceral and just as um, uh, 
as real as anything that I could do as a gospel player um, or as a classical player. So for me, it's about kind of going above this, this genre label and getting the biggest expression out of myself humanly possible. Uh, gospel is more obvious, I would say, uh, but one of the things I've been really excited about as a classical musician is bringing those elements of, of expression into the classical music space. Um, and it's, it's really, really wonderful. And I mean, I'll be honest, either people love it or people hate it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, luckily, I'm, I feel like I've played in an orchestra that really likes to go for it and really likes to stretch its musical limits. And I, I feel like um, uh, in, in that regard, I ended up where um, I was supposed to um, uh, in winning a job to fill up the orchestra. It reminds me of, um, I forget, I, I paraphrase, but it was, was it Louis Armstrong that said, or Duke, I can't remember, that there were two types of music, either good or bad, and that's right. kind of what you were saying. <laughs> the, the, the genre doesn't yeah. matter as long as you're communicating, uh, you know, reaching beyond just yourself and trying to get the message out there, which is great. Sure. Absolutely true. Did the younger Joe ever imagine, did you see yourself as like a middle school or high school kid like, yes, I'm going to be in the Philadelphia Orchestra, or was it a far-off dream, and when you finally won the spot, were you just, was it surreal? I, what, what was that like? I, I, it's great you asked that question, because actually, I, well, through my nonprofit work, I talked to a lot of students about this process for me a lot, and um, it's really funny. I didn't know exactly where I was going to end up but I knew I wanted it and I wanted it really bad. So my first musical heroes were the members of Savannah Symphony because they were my hometown orchestra and I got to see them every week because I volunteered um, to usher, which means I got to see the concerts for free. So that, that they were my musical heroes. And um, uh, um, I mean, in many respects to me, I think once a, a hero in one's mind, they're always a hero, but I was exposed to more and more. And, I, I mean, I'll be honest, when I first got to Curtis and saw the Philadelphia Orchestra at the Academy of Music, I was like, wow, I mean, I was like, this, I was like, this is, this is um, pretty incredible, and I'd love to be a part of that. But the thing is, it seemed, because you, you look at it, I had a long way to go. I mean, I was an 18-year-old from, from Savannah. I, I think I got in the Curtis by a mistake that Hal made with some <laughs> some sort that he, he, wasn't, he wasn't willing to admit until it was too, it was, um, it was too late. And I knew I had a long way to get there, but I saw what I wanted. And I knew one day I wanted to be on that stage. I used to tell people, um, even if I hit you with like the, the guy that the, the sweep the stage, that would make me really happy um, with the Philadelphia Orchestra. I, so I, I think I really, really, really wanted it. But it was one of those things where I didn't say, well, that's where I'm going to be because I didn't know where life was going to take me. But I did imagine myself there, very much so. And because of that, I planned my life and my life trajectory on building the path, building the block, even sometimes putting the blocks there myself so I could take that path and that journey up towards that goal. Um, and it's, it's like the, either the tortoise and the hare or the story of Hercules, how he got stronger. He carried the bull every day. You don't realize sometimes, um, and I really emphasize it to my students, how much progress you might be making over the long haul. Because what we see are the short, in the, uh, short um, um, distances, and sometimes, sometimes we feel like we're falling back. But if we have our eye on, the pro on that prize and we're always working towards that, there is that, that incremental climb. Uh, and I auditioned for the Philadelphia Orchestra when I was a student at Curtis. I auditioned to be on the sublet. 
and I did not get on. And I actually still have that um, um, that rejection letter in my in my locker at work today. Um, uh, and it's not not the and it wasn't it wasn't like this big thing that's like oh one day I'll get it, but it was just to remind myself that I need to keep working. And one day I, I will hopefully be able to make it. And I mean honestly, Sean, when I <laughs> I still pinch myself. I'm this is my sixth year on the job, and I still pinch myself that I won a job or the job that I did with the Philadelphia Orchestra because it is a true honor and privilege and a blessing and everything uh, um, to make music with these fantastic musicians uh, on an almost daily basis. It's just absolutely, really, really incredible. So was the audition process, was it lengthy? Was it more than a year? How did, how did that work? So with most auditions, um, they're normally actually take place in a very short amount of time. The, I believe for the Philadelphia, for my position, um, for the Philadelphia audition, there were over 200-something resumes. They whittled down to about 115 um, applicants to show up in person. And they held the audition over about five days. So luckily, um, I, my, my, my prelim was on um, the day before semi, so I didn't have to play early. One of the things I hate doing is waiting in between rounds. Um, so I played my prelim, and then the next day was the semi, and the next morning was the final, and that afternoon was what, what we call the super final, when it was just down to two applicants. So wow. by that evening, 5 o'clock, they let me know, and um, I had to drive back to Atlanta because I had <laughs> I had a 10 o'clock a.m. rehearsal the next morning. Um, oh, man. So I drove from, <laughs> but I tell you, it was the easiest overnight drive of my entire life, guaranteed. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I drove that night, but you, you find out basically immediately now, um, but I was hired for the position, but then you have to get tenure and that process takes, um, generally a year. So by May of my first season with the, uh, orchestra, um, it was actually at the Kennedy center. I had my, my tenure meeting and I was granted tenure with the Philadelphia orchestra. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow, and I, I had no idea that it was that that quick, that that amount of intensity in such a narrow window. That's incredible. It's a, it is really intense because I mean, what you what you it's it's funny again. Something I tell my students is it's the it's the all the work built up to that moment. So not only the three two to three months of preparation for the audition, but all the years of of failed auditions and. Um, uh, they all build up to that moment. And then it's just, I mean, that first round <laughs> where you might play for six, seven minutes, it's very intense. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, I actually found the, uh, try to make the, the pleasant, I mean, the experience as pleasant as possible. Um, because at the end of the day, it was all about making music. And if it wasn't fun, that, then to me, I wasn't actually making real music. And um, uh, I was always try to keep that perspective. Yeah, outstanding. Now, you mentioned throughout the, uh, our discussion here a lot about your students. You refer to them a lot. And I know you're actively involved with young people with Project 440 and the Philadelphia All-City Orchestra. And I know they've, I think they've, they've come together. Could you tell me about both projects, how they interrelate to each other, how the first project started and all that stuff? Sure. So Project 440 is the lead strategic planning partner for All-City. So we aren't quite joined, but we do act um, kind of as a representative and a fiscal agent in awareness and fundraising for the All-City Institution. 
Um, All City's been around a long time. It has a, a really storied history and storied past. And to this day, uh, I think eight to ten members of the orchestra are actually um, alumni of the All City program. What it is, it's the top high school students in the um, uh, Philadelphia region um, who are in the public school Philadelphia sector um, of the school district. So uh, the top performing students in the school district of Philadelphia. Um, they used to meet once a week throughout the year because the budget cut is down to as few as six to eight rehearsals a year. Um, and uh, I was offered the position as music director because I've been doing a lot of work with students um, in other forms in the school district, and they thought I might be a good match as a music director. So how does Project 440 fit in? Well, 440 was started in Savannah. Uh, 2007 by myself and two of the founding members, and what we did is we gave community presentations uh, uh, in the uh, Savannah area uh, with the loss of the Savannah Symphony in 2003. What we wanted to do was fill a void in music education um, by their absence. So we did that for a few years, but by 2010, we realized it was really hard to find musicians with the skill set to, to go down and to encourage young people in this way. And we said, well, this is a problem. So we shifted our focus from doing the presentations ourselves to teaching other young musicians how to do this work and the importance of doing this type of service work in their community through music. And we thought it would be good for the industry as a whole. So we've, we've grown with that concept, and we have a whole three-pronged approach with how we work with our students. We talk about college and career preparedness. We talk about leadership and entrepreneurship training. And we also uh, do community engagement and interactive performance. So that's actually putting the students that we work with in small groups and sending them out in the community to be, to be ambassadors for music. Also gives them a sense of what it's like to put something together, um, to schedule um, uh, all those intricacies uh, uh, um, and, 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 and encourage each other while they're doing this process. So when I was asked that I would be the, the new music director of All City, well, it seemed like the perfect marriage um, uh, with the organizations in that way with me being kind of the, <laughs> uh, the conduit, and that is mm-hmm. to be able to provide the students of all cities with these lifelong skills uh, through music, because that's our big story at 440. We talk about using music as a tool to teach kids the things that will make them the future leaders of Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, but literally the, the country or the world, um, uh, through this type of training. So all the students right now in the All City Orchestra and Band had access to 440 materials. We have a book called The Musician's Guide to Social Entrepreneurship. They received lectures from our teaching artists and uh, uh, a list of esteemed guest lecturers. And next year, we hope to expand the program to the whole of All City. So all the students, uh, about 450 of them, are receiving um, our 440 material and guidance. I think, if I remember the news correctly, a few months ago, you went to Europe last summer, right, with the group? Yes. Yeah, so the um, outgoing music director, Don Yuthi, always had a dream of sending the All City Orchestra to Italy. And um, I guess with, with his announcement that he would be departing um, uh, the organization, um, he thought he'd go out with a bang, and sure enough, he did. Uh, a lot of money was raised in a very, very short amount of time to send all the students of All City Orchestra, along with 20-some-odd chaperones, um, to Italy, uh, absolutely free of charge to the students. 
Um, wow. It was an incredible, incredible experience for everyone involved. The students bonded in an amazing way. Many of the students have never hardly left the, the Philadelphia metropolitan area, let alone hop on a plane and end up in a, on another continent. Um, but it was really, really fantastic experience for all, and uh, I hope, I hope with all the planning that we might be able to plan something like that in the, in the future um, uh, for our students. That'd be incredible. Um, and I'm going to, when I post this uh, podcast, I'll definitely have a, a link to the website. It's uh, project440.org, correct? That is, that is correct. And we, we, uh, that website's about to get a, a, a pretty intense overhaul, but you can still send, send people there. Um, we're more active on Facebook, so if you want to see what, um, what are, are some of our most recent activity, um, you can see that via Facebook uh, at Project 440. Great, I'll add that to the links too. Um, just real quick, what is the 440? What does that signify? Well, when we changed our name, which was in 2010, when we made that shift from doing the work in the community to teaching other young musicians how to do that work, um, uh, we realized we kind of became an organization of, of education versus just um, uh, kind of outreach and community engagement. And um, so we went through this whole branding process and um, 440 came up because it's 440 hertz. Um, and 440 mm -hmm. hertz is the pitch A, which is the exact note that Dick Woodham's principal over the Philadelphia Orchestra, plays at the beginning of every single concert. So just like that's the first note you hear at every concert um, uh, with most of the orchestras now. I mean, we get technical. Some orchestras tune at 441, 443. Uh, but Philadelphia Orchestra still tunes up 440. Just like that's the first note you hear at every concert, so we want our young people that we work with to be leaders in their communities through music. Oh, that's great. I should have gotten that. It's a musical puzzle. I didn't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so just a, one or two more questions. On your iPod or whatever you listen to music on, like, do you listen to music for fun? If so, what might be in rotation on Joe Conyers' iPod? If we looked at it right now. Wow, what a crazy question. Well, um, <laughs> it's funny you ask that because people ask me, do I listen to other genres? And I do every once in a while, and I did for quite some time, and that was generally like older, older tunes and maybe some old gospel. Uh, but in the last, it's kind of weird, like in the last seven to eight months, it's been all classical. I have a Spotify uh, uh, account where I have, um, about a thousand <laughs> classical music pieces um, uh, on on random, uh, so who knows what's going to pop up? Um, and there's a lot more I can actually add to that. So, um, so it, 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 I, I do listen to a lot of class, I, classical. I think there's so much um, variety for everything from the baroque to the contemporary to the symphonic and the operatic, and chamber music and solo works and it's just, it's just so much stuff. Um, uh, and said, but if I do listen to something other than, it's normally like kind of like oldie stuff, which is actually kind of related to gospel <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's kind of the same, <laughs> very, very similar construct. Um, yeah, so, yeah, sorry, I'm a little boring that way. I hope, I hope people <laughs> don't mind so much. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because it, I've I've talked to you on numerous occasions, and I've seen you teach, and your passion is just overflowing. And saying that you're into gospel music, oldies, it it goes hand in hand with who you are. 
you know, it's a very passionate right. and uh, giving person. So uh, it totally makes sense. Um, all right, last question. Uh, we've been talking about yeah. music and education. Let's just go somewhere else. Besides music, if you have a few minutes or hours during the year, what are some other things that you might like to do uh, to relax and have fun outside of music? Okay. Well, um, uh, that's a neat question because I am, I think if people didn't know me well, they might consider me a gym rat. <laughs> I find myself in the gym very often. Um, I've even been competitive in the bodybuilding world on a very, very small small scale. Only natural bodybuilding. I've just done a few shows. Um, but that's been a big passion of mine. It's funny, when I was in school, both my parents and my original teacher were like, you should do something besides play the bass all the time. So um, I, I got in the gym, and that was my junior year of college. Um, by five years, uh, I gained 61 pounds. <laughs> um, I, I, I became a, a big boy. And, uh, um, and then I, after 30, I started getting more intensive about it, and that's why I started doing some show, show stuff. So bodybuilding is fun, and um, when I was younger, I had a very, 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 very big passion for meteorology. Um, the local meteorologist in Savannah, Pat Prokop, was like one of my biggest heroes. And um, uh, I would even do weather reports and send rain reports, and uh, I was a storm tracker and got my official certification by the National Weather Service to be a storm spotter. And um, to this day, a good hurricane or a good winter storm gets me, it really keeps me up at night because I always have to track it. <laughs> um, awesome. uh, so I always say if, if it weren't music, maybe I'd be on, on, on screen with Jim Cantori in some ridiculous weather situation holding on to something for dear life. <laughs> uh, that's outstanding. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the way things turned out. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe in retirement. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'd love to see that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks for taking the time. It was very enlightening. Uh, I learned a lot of stuff, and I hope the listeners do too. And check it out. And, of course, I'll put links to all the projects you're involved to uh, right under the podcast when it's finished. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sean. This has been a lot of fun. Okay, great. Talk to you later. Take care. Today's soundtrack was provided by the Chamber Orchestra of Philadelphia, featuring Joseph Conyers. Follow the link below to purchase a copy for yourself today. Thanks for listening.